Hey everybody, Jimmy Warren here. Welcome to a brand new episode of Guitar Talk right here in Guitar Talk Studios outside of Chicago, Illinois. It's a real pleasure to have you with us. I tell you what, we've got a great show in store, great conversation with an amazing guitar player, of course. Uh, we're talking about Cody Ford from the rock band Sewing. What a great band, what a great guitarist. This was a really good conversation. I think that you're really gonna enjoy this one so do yourself a favor put your feet up get a nice cool beverage and enjoy this conversation with cody ford right here on guitar talk one second here do you hear me yeah i hear you okay no, there you are i hear you now all right How's it going, James? Good, man. How you doing? Very good. Very good. Yeah? Yes. So what's it like to be a rock star, man? <laughs> <laughs> Living the dream, huh? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's been busy. It's been busy. But good, yeah. man. Good. Well, you know, the, the last two singles that you guys put out, at least the last two videos that I saw, you know, uh, Unbreakable and Memorial, correct? That's right. Yeah, both of them are great, man. Really, really good. So before we talk about the band and before we talk about, you know, the music and what's going on with you guys, you know, my show is called Guitar Talk. Yeah. And so, you know, we got to spend a couple of minutes, you know, uh, diving into the world of guitar for Cody Ford. So uh, I'm going to ask you, I, I don't, I normally, you know, just want to have a conversation. I don't want to ask you interview questions, but I got a question that I, I ask just about everybody because I'm always fascinated to hear the responses from such a diverse group of guitar players. Mm -hmm. Question is in the formative days, in the early days of developing Cody Ford as a guitar player, what are some of the things that you did in order to become the guitar player you are now? Um, I think a lot of that just spawns from uh, just kind of being obsessed with the instrument. I mean, uh, I don't think it's easy for somebody to do something for seven hours a day unless they're really obsessed with it, right? Um, so for me, that happened around 14. My dad was always a guitar player, so he always had guitars lying around. And um, it wasn't until I was about, yeah, around 14, uh, one of my best friends, he lived down the street and we, we would do everything together. He came down the street, I guess his uncle had given him a guitar and he was just showing me some of the stuff he had learned. And I was like, man, that's, that's fucking sick. <laughs> so um, my dad had some, he was a Fender Strat player and he had a couple of Strats lying around and, uh, and a Fender Twin and a bunch of Boss pedals. And, uh, and from there it just became an obsession. And I think it was maybe a year or two later, uh, my parents got me my, my first guitar and uh, my brothers, uh, I have three younger brothers and so one of them naturally naturally just picked up the bass and then the other one just naturally picked up the drums and so we started a band together and so it was like every day after school 
you know, we would just run into the basement and just crank up some amps and, and, uh, you know, we were getting, we were really getting into metal and stuff at that time. And, uh, so yeah, we, we were in a band for, for, for a good number of years during my teenage years. And, um, that's what kind of started it all, man. It, I mean, you know, you, you start to get obsessed with certain, certain bands. Um, of course I was a big Pink Floyd fan, but then as you get into metal, really loved like bands like uh, Children of Bodom and um, obviously Iron Maiden and Priest and all the classics. Um, <clears throat> but I will say that uh, I've been telling my guitar students this lately. Um, one of the best pieces of gear that I ever acquired was uh, it was called a Fender G Deck amp. And <clears throat> these amps had like just like a bunch of uh, like loops in them, like uh, backing tracks and stuff. Uh, There's maybe like 52 different backing tracks and they were like easily accessible through the, you know, the turn of the dial. And every backing track had the appropriate uh, tone for it. So there are some backing tracks that sounded like Pink Floyd or some that were funky or whatever. And, uh, and you could change the key and the tempo and all this stuff. And there was like a 14 second looper on the thing as well. And, uh, that thing, man, I, I played that thing for like seven hours a day. I mean, it was just, I think that, that really in hindsight, that really helps because, um, because I think it is really important to, 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 to play either to a metronome or to, to a drum beat or something to kind of develop a sense of time and, and, uh, and so, yeah, I just, you know, I just, I love to sit in my room. I would sit in my room all day and, and just fuck around on that thing and come up with riffs and songs. And, and I, I really just love to improvise. I didn't know what I was doing. I just kind of went for it. And, uh, so yeah, that's kind of where it all started. You know, that's one of the best ways to, uh, to help develop your own personal style you know what I mean? Jamming the backing tracks or the different, you know, different uh, types of things and just coming up with your own ideas and your own sounds and all that kind of stuff. Because so many guys, man, you know, they they go down that path. That you, you just, you know, mentioned a minute ago about, you know, having students. So many people want to learn mm-hmm. everybody else's stuff and everybody else's style. Yeah. You know? And, uh, you know, taking that time to just like you said, just fuck around with all that stuff. I mean, that helps you to, you know, develop, you know, who you are much more than if you're trying to copy the riffs of, of somebody else. Wouldn't you think? Totally. Totally. Yeah. And, I, and I hear a lot of, um, I hear a lot of really good guitar players sort of say the same thing. And that's, um, you know, the importance of, of learning things by ear. Mm-hmm. Because um, nowadays, I mean, you can, most stuff you can look up a guitar tutorial or something like that. Um, but for me, I, I, I really didn't like, I just didn't have the patience for guitar tabs. And I, and I learned like quite early that guitar tabs were like 99% of the time they were just wrong. <laughs> and so I just uh, yeah. developed a lack of trust in, in online guitar tabs. And because uh, I, because I knew my ear was, was more correct than what I was trying to learn on the guitar tabs. And uh, when you learn it this way, you don't, you don't know exactly 
how another guitar player is playing that thing and so you kind of come up with your own way of doing it mm -hmm. and um and yeah i mean you know i i mean that being said i've never really been that much of a guitar covers guy like i i know an embarrassingly you know small amount of, of, of covers off the top of my head and uh you know even when i get um compliments or something like oh you sound a lot like gilmore or something it's like gilmore's a big influence for me but i always felt like if i learned his solos if i learned how to play them there was like this sense of uh the mystique and the godliness about it which is like completely yeah. erased you know what i mean so i was kind of like yeah. scared to actually learn some of my favorite solos um but really it was just the vibe of them and the essence of them and and how they made you feel and that kind of thing i think is is what i really absorbed listening to my favorite players and then and then naturally of course as you're developing as a guitar player you start to you start to sound like the sum of your influences i think yeah yeah you you know one of the things that i i've always found to be you know vitally important you know, in music, especially playing the guitar is when it comes to, you know, phrasing and melody, right? You, you, you mentioned Gilmore. Of course, Gilmore is one of my absolute favorites. As a matter of fact, you know, I've done a Gilmore tribute in the past and uh, my new album that I'm working on sounds more like Gilmore than, than, you know, I, than I, I want it to, but, uh, yes, man. I wouldn't have guessed by the, the, the shirt you're wearing. <laughs> yeah, well, being old and, you know, somebody that sits in my studio all day listening to Gilmore all day long. No, nice. but, but phrasing, you know, and melody is something that you learn from a player like that and so many others. And I noticed that in your music. I really do, because, you know, it's like... I think in order to be, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm not, I'm not an expert in hard rock music or metal music. I'm not an expert in any music, really. But it seems like that is such a valuable asset to, to, that, to that music, because if you have the right melodies, if you, if you come up with a really melodic phrase and stuff like that, I mean, it just really creates the, the theatrical, if that's a a proper word to use, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I think I think for most people, melody-based music is um, is what we all love. Um, you know, of course, of course, rhythm is really important as well. But um, you know, at the end of the song, if you if you can if you can sing the melody if you can remember the melody uh i mean that that's good melody writing that's um i mean a, a really good melody is something that just kind of seeps into you um and, and especially if it's delivered the right way or with the right lyrics i mean if you have all of that coming together um that's what makes for really emotional music and that's what's really important for us mm -hmm. is to kind of have that emotional uh, complexity in our music. Um, you know, we sing, we, 
the stuff we talk about is or, or sing about it's it's not really surfacey stuff it's really uh you know it's deep it's emotional and so it you know the music obviously has to match that and so it's um it's a hard thing to do uh you really have to work on it and um and, and a lot of the time of course you know you you come up with 20 ideas and, and 19 of them are shit, right <laughs> um but once in a while you hit a you hit a little a little diamond in the rough and um and you just kind of work from there yeah yeah so when when you're in the process of uh, developing your your parts for songs in that uh is it something that you know you really spend a lot of time kind of developing and creating or are you the kind of player that you know when it comes time you just you know i don't know just maybe give it a few tries you know like going through the recording and solo part of the recording let's say you mm -hmm. know to just do some passes and pick what what works or pieces of what works or is it something that you really take your time and really think about and really try to, you know, match what's going on or, you know what I mean? Cause some guys we're, we're talking about melody here, right? I mean, really uh, players that go on to be great in my opinion are people that write for the song, right? Yeah. They're, they're playing for the song. It's yeah. not a solo. It's not about me as a guitarist in that. Is that your mind frame? Definitely. Yeah. 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 I think, um, I think that's essentially the reason that I was um, approached in this band. I mean, when someone needed another guitar player, uh, they had a handful of guys audition. And uh, part of the audition was to you know, play a solo over a ballad that they had. And I think a lot of these guys, um, you know, they approached it like, like a talent show. And so, you know, they're just, fucking doing the, the the shredding thing over the over a ballad when it just it doesn't fit right and um and so for me uh i actually i mean i actually come from more of like a sh shred guitar background but um but yeah i mean you you have to serve the song um there's there's no room for for egos uh in good music to me um and so yeah when we when we have ballads uh it's got to be it's got to be an emotional solo and it doesn't mean that that it can't be fast in moments but um but you have to find that you have to find that balance and uh i mean the cool thing about this this new record is you know it's it's a little bit more of a metal record and um there's there was actually a couple of couple of moments on this record I was able to kind of let loose and, and do a little bit more of the the shredly thing because the song called for it right it was like you know just go out and rip it kind of thing yeah. and uh, so that was that was fun for me but uh, I completely agree with you yeah you you really have to you have to serve the song um, phrasing style tone all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's important. It's important, and uh, you know, there's it's nothing worse than a a song you're totally into and like 
you're completely feeling it and then you know the solo comes and it's uh completely garbage like it just doesn't you you were here emotionally and then all of a sudden it's taking you over here and um yeah it's it's an important thing for sure but when it comes to when it comes to coming up with my parts it's um it's kind of a mixed bag i mean sometimes it's uh sometimes i'll just kind of play have the uh the backing track on a loop and just kind of see what happens if there's any golden nuggets in there i'll keep them but most of the time it's just complete shit you know <laughs> i would say that uh like i'm not one of these like world-class players like a guthrie govin who could probably just one or two takes come up with like the best solo you've ever heard you know right. i mean that's like I think what everybody aspires to be one in a million is going to get there. Right. Uh, but for me, I, I'll sit down with it, um, come up with some ideas, take my time with it while I'm cooking meals. I'm kind of coming up with licks in my head and, you know, I kind of get obsessed with it sometimes. Yeah. To the point where it actually drives me insane a little bit. Like, you know, when I'm, <laughs> yeah. when I'm writing some of this stuff, it's, uh, you wouldn't want to be in the same house as me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but it all comes together in the end. Yeah. yeah. So you, one of the things that you that you mentioned uh, there was, you know, when you're when you're creating and stuff, you talked about tone in mm -hmm. that, you know, and uh, you know, I think it's it's something that all guitar players you know, strive for, you know, to have, have a good sound, you know, and, and sometimes developing that something that's unique to you or something that's, uh, you know, appropriate for yourself in that. I mean, what was that process like for you? I mean, in order to come up with the sound, I mean, look at, I, I get it. You got great gear, right. And, and you and I both know, you know, if you have the right stuff and you know how to work it, man, you can you can do anything and that. But how do you get to that place? Because, you know what, I've seen guys where I've said, OK, here's an amp, you know, let's, you know, do it a class. Let's let's just look at the EQ section. Mm -hmm. Let's just dial this thing in to, you know, to get a certain kind of nice clean tone or a nice, you know, whatever. What was that process like for you or was it just trial and error, just fucking around and oh there it is you know kind of thing yeah yeah it's um for me i i really love i really love that process it's one of my favorite things to do yeah. um i remember for the uh for the atlantis album we did you know we i kind of sat in there in the studio in in stockholm with uh david castillo and uh, we reamped all my guitar parts and I just got to sit there all day. It's like, okay, this guitar part, how do we want it to sound? And we just, we had, we decided to use just one amp because we wanted it to sound like very cohesive. So we took one amp that we thought would, you know, um, kind of work for clean and heavy parts, right? So we took a diesel VH4, great amp. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, every part was just, you know, I got to just dial it in just the right amount of gain, the right EQ, had a couple of pedals. We want some delay, uh, you know, whipped out like a um, octave pedal and all this kind of shit. And I mean, the nerd in me was just exploding. I was just, I loved <laughs> that day. It was like eight hours of just 
twiddling knobs and shit. And, and, and I love that stuff. I love that stuff. Uh, but nowadays, I mean, a lot of the time for the album, uh, so I'll, I'll sit right here, actually. Uh, I recorded all the guitar parts here in this room. And so you, you know, you record them DI and then of course you send them to, to the producer. And so a lot of times for these albums, it's the producer who's going to come up with kind of like a rough sound of what they think something should sound like. And, um, and then you kind of go with there, you, you're, you're working with them, you know, this, this solo is sounding good, but, uh, maybe you could use a flange or something to spice it up or, uh, you know, this, this solo is not wet enough, it needs more delay or some more reverb, uh, that kind of thing. But when you're working with really, uh, really good people, um, who really have an ear for what things should sound like, uh, it really helps. It really helps. I mean, it, it you feel like your guitar tones are, are safe in their hands. So, um, it's the same thing live, right? I mean, it's, a good sound guy is gonna is gonna really help you out mm -hmm. uh even if your guitar tone is let's say semi-mediocre um so a lot of the times uh there's kind of a hero let's say behind the scenes um i'm sure gilmore had lots of people as well uh yeah. you know assisting him and yeah. you know nerds telling him about different gear and shit like that um but yeah i love the process i love the process i mean it's one of my favorite favorite parts of of, of uh, writing an album yeah yeah i i know for myself i'm i'm that same way you know i i remember when i got on this kick for uh the dumble sound right okay. Yeah. You know, you know, you know how you can go down a rabbit hole with a, a certain kind of tone or a certain kind of sound. So, of course, you know, I, I'm a guy I, I'm endorsed by Fuchs amps, which are dumbbell ish. Right. You know, the I've, over, I've always yeah. wanted to try one. Yeah. Great amps. Yeah. Great. amps. If you need to connect, I'll hook you up with Andy if you want. But so I decided, well, OK, uh, I can't afford a dumbbell and I have a Fuchs, but there's all these pedals out there. So I went out and I bought, I don't know, maybe 40 pedals, you know, all Dumble pedals. Dumble. And I sat around my studio for weeks, seriously, weeks. Yeah. I go pairing them together and stacking them and trying different ones and stuff like that. I love that. I could do that all day long. So if you ever need a place to do that, you can always come to my studio and you could do it. I, I don't know. I got maybe 800 pedals, I think. I don't know. Shit, man. I got so much crap. But it, <laughs> so what about what about the Kemper, though, or the Fractal? I know a lot of guys in in rock and metal and in hard rock and that that are going to the Kemper and stuff. You know, nothing on stage. Everything's kind of either there's nothing there or it's not real. And, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. are you doing that live or are you still using analog gear? Uh, yeah, when I joined Sewin, um, the band actually had uh, a Kemper for me to use, and uh, I was completely new to the digital realm of guitar tones. And uh, so, you know, first rehearsal, I just kind of quickly dialed some stuff in. I was trying to 
you know, learn the ropes of the, of the thing, you know, it looks like a spaceship. Right. So I'm just like, what the fuck is going on here? Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I learned quite quickly the, the, uh, I mean, the, the positives and the negatives of, of using this kind of gear. Um, and to me, I, I've learned that right now with where this stuff is at, with how advanced and how far it's come, um, there's a lot more positives than negatives. So I used the Kemper for a while and then uh, we flew home from Mexico at the beginning of when COVID hit, actually, we were in Mexico. And then the Kemper just didn't return uh, home. <laughs> it just got lost. We have no idea where it is to this day. Uh, so the airline lost it. Um, but then I ended up uh, contacting the guys from Neural DSP. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they gave me a great deal on a quad cortex. And that's what I've been using for the last few years. And, um, the things I love about it is that, you know, it's like this big. So I literally carry it onto the plane. Uh, and that's really important for me because I'm, I'm the only Canadian in a Swedish band. So I'm traveling all the time. And I think it's really important for, for bands nowadays to know that when they get on stage, their sound is going to be exactly the same. They, they, there's, there's no, you know, there, there's no weird variables that are going to happen. Like when I first started, the, the, actually the first tour I did was so, and I was using a, a, a rental amp and, you know, you'd fly into festivals and you use different amps and no, no matter, I mean, if you, even if you're using the same amp and the same, I mean, the odds that you're going to get the same cab with the same speakers and that all the speakers are going to be working and that this amp doesn't have like a blown tube and all of this <laughs> shit. I mean, there's just so much, so many variables for, for failure. And, uh, and when you're up there, you don't want to worry about that shit. I mean, you just want to, you just want to play the gig. You want to be present for the crowd. And, um, you know, I get a lot of, a lot of compliments about my tone using the neural DSP. Uh, do I miss using real amps? Like, you know, if I had all the money in the world and we could have big truck and fit a bunch of fucking full stacks in there, I would love to do that. Of course. I mean, nothing beats, nothing beats it. Don't get me wrong. But, uh, but nowadays the, the feel and the sound of, of these things, um, is really excellent. And, and they're so, um, I mean, I'm talking about the quad cortex. It's, it's really intuitive to use and, and in a way, it's a very educational uh, tool because you actually, I mean, you, you scroll through all these amps, so you get you get a sense of what they sound like. Mm-hmm. You know, so many of these amps I've never had the the chance to actually play, right? So you get to hear what they sound like. You get to understand what using different microphones does and mic placement on a speaker and how important that is and how important. How important the speaker is actually the speakers in a cab i mean that is so many people are tone chasing and this is the biggest thing actually is the speakers in a cabinet um is the biggest thing that'll change your tone um and so you know you kind of get into that and then all of a sudden you're using you know it's so what i'm always do- doing is using like two different cabinets 
and so you've kind of you've essentially got two two cabinets, four microphones in total, uh, just kind of giving you a big, big, juicy sound, you know. Um, and uh, and yeah, so it's a lot of fun, and I've I've probably just scratched the surface of of what these things are capable of doing. Yeah. Um, so you know, I'm having fun with it, man. I'm having yeah. a lot of fun with it. Yeah. yeah. Well, like I say, you know, I know so many people that have gone to them and using them and stuff and that I know there's some some old old timers out there that, you know, still can't give up the the air pressing up against the back of their legs. But exactly. I understand that completely. Yeah. So 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 the band, you know, tell us about, you know, uh, what's going on right now, you know, tours, music, all that kind of stuff. What can people expect from the band right now? Yeah, we're just finishing up um, the European festivals we've got going on, so we've got a handful left. Uh, we're playing a couple of special shows uh, coming up in Athens and uh, Istanbul, I think, where we're going to do the Atlanta set. So the Atlanta set is with um, string quartet and a backup vocalist and all this stuff. They're uh, really magical really magical nights actually it's a very different experience for for us in the crowd and um and then after that from september mid-september to mid-october we're going to be uh touring the memorial album so the album's coming out september 1st right and then uh and then yeah we'll do the first the first leg of our european tour we typically do two legs uh so the first leg will happen this year and uh, next year, we've already got, you know, a bunch of plans that are sort of um, uh, not set in stone yet, but I'm sure will probably happen. Some Latin America, North America, another Europe tour, more festivals, um, the whole shebang. So, yeah, that's going to be busy, man, but we're looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, the, the two videos that you have out now are great man they're really they're really great uh especially the 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 live one unforgettable is that it is that right yeah that one's that one's amazing i i actually you know i don't even know how many times i watched that so so you're you're uh attached to paul reed smith correct I'm not attached to Paul Reed Smith. No, uh, I don't have an endorsement deal with them or anything. I've never really reached out to them actually. Uh, just out of, you know, I don't, I mean, endorsement deals are, are something I'm starting to think about. Um, but they're tricky. I mean, I've had a couple of guitar companies, um, approach me and it's always flattering, but it's, it's always hard to find the right fit. I mean, if they, they're not your right. style and stuff like that. Um, right. And I don't think I would be really interested in any endorsement deal that, uh, that requires me to only use their, their stuff because I, I like different guitars. You know, I, I want to be able to use my Fender Strats and yeah. whatever the flavor of the week might be, you know. <laughs> um, but no, I, I started using Paul Reed Smith because I was a big Opeth fan growing up. And, you know, you get into the prog stuff and you want a guitar that's versatile, essentially. Yeah. You know, I, I, I was listening to Opeth and just kind of hearing how these guitars were handling the cleans super beautifully. And 
and the distorted parts and everything in between. And I thought, man, these, and, you know, super beautiful, elegant instruments. And, uh, and yeah, so I've got a couple of those. Um, I've got a whole slew of guitars, uh, strats and Ibanez's and Jackson's and right, all kinds right. of stuff that I was able to use on the album. But, uh, but yeah, the Paul Reed Smiths are just super reliable live and I've just never had a problem with them. Uh, they're just fantastic instruments. Yeah, well, they're great. Yeah, they're great guitars in that. And you're playing on the the songs that I heard, the new ones, man, really good. I mean, great songs, great vocals, you know, really well, you know, produced and put together in that. So I'm sure you guys are going to have huge success with the release of the new project and the new tour and stuff. And uh, I, I, I'm glad I got an opportunity to chat with you, man. Thanks, James. Thank you, yeah. man. It's, uh Thank you so much for the kind words and uh and yeah we'll we're we're hopeful things will just kind of keep taking off from here and we're excited man we're, we're in a good moment all right man well thanks a lot and uh you take care of yourself and once again good luck man right. until next time buddy all right man take care peace yeah well i'd like to thank cody for participating in this episode of guitar talk it was an absolute pleasure to be able to speak with him and get to know him a little bit better and dig into who he is uh man what a great player really and so and man you got to follow these guys they're a really really great band uh, i hope you enjoy them as much as i do and so uh until next week ah <laughs> when my guest is Greg Saran, who is the guitarist for Lionel Richie. Yeah, he's actually played with Joe Walsh, Don Henley. Uh, he's the guitarist on American Idol, a really interesting cat. He's going to be with us next week. Until then, I'm Jimmy Warren. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I'll see you next week.